0: Welcome to Concerning Cams, brought to you by Education Pathways. I'm Kevin Konachny, your host. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. Our topic today is emotional support animals. What's new? I have the pleasure to be here with attorney Richard DeBost. Richard is a partner with the law firm of Godia Damsek DeBost & Cross, Welcome, Richard, to Concerning Cam's, and could you please begin by telling us about your background?
1: Ah, well, I'm a uh, community association lawyer for about 27 years. That's all I've done. Our firm does all kinds of different things, but we have a large practice area in representing community associations, and that's exclusively what I do, representing associations as opposed to homeowners.
0: Richard, as we get started today, what does it mean to have an emotional support animal? (laughs)
1: Well, emotional support animals are the topic du jour for about the last 10 years. Uh, It uh, arises from a law called the Fair Housing Act, which was uh, created in 1992. It created handicap as a protected class, the same as race, creed, color, religion, ethnicity. It's a protected class that you cannot discriminate against people with handicaps. An offshoot of that are people that Um, They created a part of the law to create what was called a service animal, which the classic service animal is a highly um, trained seeing eye dog for a person that is blind. No one would dispute that a blind person is handicapped. They have a highly trained dog that allows them to use the facilities in the the public areas like any sighted person was to the greatest degree possible. As that that's a service animal. There is a lower level of uh, uh, of, a, of a what's called an assistance animal. There's two types of assistance animals: service animals, which are trained. Um, to perform a service. And then there's an offshoot called an emotional support animal. That's what we call it, emotional support animal. Um, An emotional support animal does not need any specific training and it does not need to perform any specific task. Moreover, it does not have to necessarily be a dog, okay? It could be anything. And over the years since this law came about, Slowly but surely, it's a slippery slope, and we got to the point that emotional support animals could be literally anything. They could be a turtle. It could be a bird. It could be a dog. It doesn't have to perform a service, and it's a very low bar to get a get a doctor to qualify you to have one and that allows you to have an exception to the pet rules in your community where it says no pets or pets of a certain size. If you can qualify it as an emotional support animal, it's an exception to those rules. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your take on things, the law has been so diluted over the years that it's become in some cases quite absurd Mm -hmm. as to what people can qualify as an emotional support animal. So as a follow-up, what
0: type of medical practitioner are we talking about here? I'm assuming, for example, it can't be a dentist.
1: Uh, well, it, it, it's funny you should say dentist because the fair housing laws say, you know, you would think it has to be a medical doctor, but the fair housing law says it simply has to be a, a note or documentation from a quote-unquote practitioner of the medical arts, okay? So that's clearly a doctor, but it can be a therapist it can be um, uh, a psychiatrist. It can be a sociologist. It can be just about anybody's whose professional um, background touches on health issues. So I've you, you mentioned dentist. I've had a dentist. So provide the, the documentation for an emotional support animal. Um, and you would be, you know, it, it's counterintuitive, but HUD would recognize a dentist potentially as being able to prescribe an emotional support animal. A funny story is I actually had a gentleman, a man, whose um, supporting documentation was from a gynecologist. So you would wonder, well, you know, and we inquired about that. And the gynecologist said, well, he's not my patient, but my subspecialty in medical school was psychotherapy. So I feel qualified to to elicit this. And you can kind of see that due to HUD's liberal viewpoint on this, um, they they will accept almost anything uh, that touches on the medical field as support. So,
0: if someone has documented the need for an emotional support animal, is it the case that they have to have that animal with them at all times? Can they leave and go to work? Can they leave the animal home? Only be with
1: the animal at certain times? How does that work? Again, uh, no, they don't have to have the the uh, the animal with them at all times. It depends on what the um, what uh, the medical professional has prescribed. I had a situation where a gentleman was prescribed. Uh, he he was he was able to support provide documentation to support the fact that he needed a um, a cat, okay? And the doctor's note did say the cat must be with him at all times. Uh, we noticed when he lived in the community that he went to work every day from 8 to 5, and he did not take the cat. So we followed up and said, well, your doctor said you need it with you at all times, you know, how can you have it not eight hours a day? Uh, We talked to HUD and the HUD um, advisor that sometimes you can call it and say, well, this is what we've got. What do you guys kind of think on this? And because the cat had been prescribed to uh, somehow alert the person to their low blood sugar, and I think they were diabetic, um, the HUD uh, officer said, well, those mostly occur in the morning or in the evening. So we would justify that he wouldn't need it during the day. Again, you can kind of see that the HUD uh, advisors take a very liberal, and I don't mean liberal in any bad or or good way, but a very broad view. And that's where it has become, there are numerous cases of really what anybody would reasonably say is an absurd you know, snakes have been uh, qualified as emotional support animals. And we see it in the media a lot on airplanes now. You can see that the airlines have started to crack down. They're not going to let turtles on the airplane. They're not going to let um, turkeys. There was the famous case with the turkey on the airplane. Slowly but surely, HUD and and the, the fair housing laws are starting to come back to what they were really intended to be, which is truly an, a, a dog or, in some cases, a miniature pony is allowed to um that really perform a service not just make you feel good but that's where we are today
0: richard what would you recommend to cams or to a board if they have a situation where a member of the community has been approved to have an emotional support animal that happens to be a cat and the next door neighbor happens to be highly allergic to pets particularly cats how do they begin to peel back the layers of the onion on that to resolve the problem?
1: Well, there's a couple of things here. Let me, let me before I get to that question, let me explain that um, this is an area that is highly emotional for the, for, the, for the service animal owner or the emotional support animal owner, but the board and the community because they perceive it as bogus and abuse. But it's also an area that legally the board can get in significant trouble. Uh, if they get turned into the HUD office for a fair housing violation, the, the level of, of legal liability is no different legally than if they turned, if they denied a person to live in the community because they were of a certain, um, ethnicity or color, it's the same level of risk. So people don't see it that way because now it's a cat and you know, this is all bogus. Boards have to be very, very careful not to have a knee-jerk reaction and say, well, that's just a bunch of BS and we don't believe it because fair housing laws are very, very um, uh, onerous on the penalty. So whenever a board is faced with a potential request for an emotional support animal, they have to take it very seriously. They need to talk to their legal counsel and they need to make sure that they follow certain steps. Um, remind me what your 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 Yeah,
0: sure. Was. I was uh, imagining that one neighbor has... Uh, emotional support animal that's a cat and the next door neighbor is very allergic to felines.
1: And that's a very legitimate um, concern. And uh, for example, someone might choose to live in a community because they looked at the documents and they said, it's a no pet community. And I'm highly allergic to pets or I am have a rational fear of dogs for whatever reason. So I chose that community because I don't want to live around pets uh, or, or animals. And then someone comes in and says, well, I want an exception to your rule. I have a fair housing issue. I have an emotional support animal. So trying to balance the rights of the person who, who has a reason not to be around the pet or the animal and the person that legally wants it is very, very difficult. And the law addresses it, but the person that might, let, let's let use your example, that the person is highly allergic to cats has chosen to live in the community because there's no pets. The neighbor moves in next door. And there's a recent Florida law that, that also addresses this. The burden is on the person saying that the, that the emotional support animal will negatively affect them, okay? So in your example, if I'm highly allergic, I would have to show and provide documentation that, A, I have you know a, a medical condition that will be affected by the animal, and I have to show that there is no other reasonable means for me to avoid the problem other than you can't have the dog next door or the pet next door. The burden is on the person. So it's a high bar to show that, well, can you take pills for it? Can can you uh, go out your back door instead of the front door where the pet is? Can you use an alternative elevator? So the burden is on the person that... That uh, really is kind of the victim here that they didn't do anything wrong. They chose the community. But so it, it's a high bar. It, it, it is achievable. But um, most of the time you're going to find that there is another reasonable method that the person can use to avoid the, the harm caused by the emotional support animal to them. Um, so it's a very difficult case.
0: You mentioned HUD, which is the Fair Housing Act. So these are federal requirements.
1: Yeah, HUD, Housing and Urban Development, is the federal agency that that enforces the Fair Housing Act. There is a Florida version of the same law and a Florida division, but they work in tandem. So essentially, whatever case comes to them is administered through HUD. Uh, yeah, but Housing and Urban Development is the the agency.
0: So how can a state statute supersede a federal act? Can you
1: explain some more about that? Well, that's a great question. And there is some concern because Florida this year, as of July 1, 2020, adopted a law uh, that is designed to kind of rein in some of the emotional support animal abuse. Um, And there is a question because it's called the Supremacy Clause. Federal law in a lot of cases will trump – you know state law, and so that is a uh, that was an issue when Florida uh, uh, adopted this law. That hey, that's not quite what the federal law says. So the law is so new that I think it it, it could be subject to challenge on that basis. But for now, um, the the new Florida law brings in the the parameters a little bit. It's it's in the right direction towards reasonableness, but we got a long way to go to uh, to stop the emotional support animal abuse.
0: So when these types of issues, um, which you've described as emotionally charged at times, emerge in an association or an HOA, what do you recommend that the CAM or the board leadership uh, do in that case? Who should they consult?
1: Okay. Number one, it, it is, as I mentioned, it's extremely serious. And if you step in the wrong direction, you can get dragged into a fair housing complaint, which I can tell you, you will spend tens of thousands of dollars. And even if you prevail and have found not to have discriminated, you will still spend tens of thousands of dollars, which you cannot recover. So it is fraught with peril if you do it wrong. So, whenever the issue arises, someone says, Well, I don't, I, this is an emotional support animal or this is a service animal, the board or the manager immediately has to stop and say, Okay. And then a a good association will already have a policy in place and they'll have forms and they'll say, oh, okay, and hand them the forms and ask them to complete the forms and go through the process. Um, In either case, when they do that, you definitely need to talk to legal counsel because here's the thing. It's called a reasonable accommodation. That's what the law requires. If you can support documentation that you have a handicap and that you need this reasonable accommodation, which is an exception to the rule then the board has to grant it. But the key word here is reasonable. So not everything that the person wants is going to be reasonable. So um, that's a legal analysis that the the association's legal counsel has to perform uh, to determine. But again, the bar is so low to qualify for an emotional support animal, and the risk is so high that if you're wrong, most associations if the person will simply provide some very simple documentation most boards will not risk it to, to say well we know it's not real but the risk of fighting it is so great they'll will they'll, they'll they'll you know acquiesce can someone
0: obtain the emotional support animal documentation online or do they need to see a practitioner in person
1: well there's actually a new law that went into effect July 1 2020 in Florida It's Florida Statute 413.08. And it's also accompanied by Florida Statute 760.27. Uh, the point of the law was to try to tighten up and prevent the widespread abuse of bogus emotional support animals. And the law does several things. One of them is directly on whether or not you can obtain a certificate online in order to document a proper emotional support animal. And essentially, the answer is now no. The new law expressly provides that an emotional Support animal registration of any kind, including but not limited to an ID card, a patch, a certificate, or similar documentation obtained from the internet, is not by itself sufficient to establish the disability or the need for the emotional support animal. So the days of going online and paying $20 and uploading your, your dog, or in, in in one case I've had a parakeet's photo to print out a certificate that looks like a driver's license or some type official government agency certificate. And that being the be all end all of the question of whether or not you're entitled to a reasonable accommodation for an emotional support animal are basically over in the state of Florida. You can no longer do that. Furthermore, even before the new law, it's interesting, there is no federal, state, local or any other government agency that quote unquote certifies emotional support animals. So all this time, all of these certificates you've seen that look very official with government you know logos and things on them, none of that was actually from the government and was not sufficient to support the emotional support animal exception. However, people would come into your office and wave that around and basically say, once I show you this, you cannot ask me any questions and you cannot uh, do anything but tell me that I'm allowed to have an exception to the PET rule because I've got this documentation. So that's no longer the case in Florida. Um, furthermore, um, uh, they've tightened up on who can provide the certification. The certification does not necessarily have to be a medical doctor. It can be anybody that's uh, the practitioner of the medical arts, they say. However, the new law does provide that if the medical practitioner that provides you the supporting documentation, the doctor's note, the letter letter, whatever it might be, to support your request for a reasonable accommodation to uh, have an emotional support animal. Um, uh, if it's an out-of-state doctor, if it's a doctor that's not in the state of Florida, you the doctor has to certify that they have seen you on at least one occasion before um, the, the occasion at which you asked... Uh, them to submit uh, provide you with the emotional support animal certification documentation now you can use telemed so you could be an out of state doctor that you saw via telemed but it can no longer be the doctor that you've never met never discussed anything with that you went on the internet paid a hundred dollars for and even though they they gave you more than the actual certificate that that people would wave around they give you an actual doctor's note if that doctor hasn't seen you before for for uh, you know your underlying conditions, uh, essentially that's not allowed anymore. And it now makes it a second degree misdemeanor. That's a crime, a misdemeanor crime in the state of Florida to provide false or fraudulent documentation of the need for an emotional support animal or to willfully misrepresent oneself as having a disability or a need for an ESA. So this does put a little risk on the medical practitioner or the the individual that comes in and simply waves around that certificate off the internet that doesn't answer the two magic questions and is not from a, a medical provider that you've seen before out of state. Um, you know that could potentially be a crime. So it, it is not uh, it is not something um, to mess around with. Uh, Um, And the abuse, hopefully, will be curtailed a bit by this, but you know, in all honesty, the bar is still very low. It's very, very pretty easy to still obtain the proper documentation. But at least the pendulum is swinging back a little bit to the uh, to the more normal side of things where the law was truly intended to be essentially for an animal that provides a real uh, service, not simply makes you feel good. Uh, in any case, um, you know, that's just one new law. Hopefully there'll be more that will bring things back to, uh, to uh, normalcy. Thank you.
0: Richard, thank you for joining us today on Concerning Cams to walk us through emotional support animals, What's New? If listeners have additional questions, how can they best reach you or your associates at the law firm of Godia, Damsick Debose and Cross?
1: Uh, the easiest way is just go on the web, G-A-D-C-Law, dot com. Uh, We have a free uh, portal where you can ask questions or make inquiries. We also have a lot of free information on there and a lot of uh, webinars that they can look at. So uh, we're here to help and um, uh, good luck.
0: Thank you, Richard. We'll be sure to include this contact information in the episode notes for this podcast.